0: Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Olivier de LaRouzier, who is CIO of our fixed income business. And uh, I guess maybe it's always an interesting time to be a CIO in fixed income, but it seems a particularly interesting time right now. Uh, we think back to April when U.S. 10-year Treasury yields were 1.75%. And I think it's safe to say that at that point in time, the consensus view was that interest rates would continue to rise. You had a recovering U.S. economy, uh, massive fiscal stimulus, uh, and more likely than not, rising inflation. Except uh, we seem to have found ourselves in a somewhat different situation today with yields around 1.35%. At the same time, we've had some fairly significant surprises from the Fed. The last meeting uh, gave us a dot plot, which showed the forecasts of the Federal Open Market Committee members for the level of Fed funds in two years. and, And much to most people's surprise, that indicated the potential for two hikes, two 25 basis point hikes from the Fed over the next two years, most people had expected before the meeting. Uh, that it would probably show no hikes, or maybe a chance that you'd see one. Uh, We still have the potential for fiscal stimulus ahead, though quite uncertain perhaps. And then on the European side, we have the ECB that's come out with a change to its own inflation framework. Uh, And then of course, there's the pandemic, which uh, sadly we're still talking about, and certainly still having an impact on the outlook for the economy. So, like I said, Olivier, very interesting time. Let's start with maybe the more short term or near-term performance that we've seen. How do you understand the recent movements we've seen in the fixed income market?
1: We had a strong start of the year, and everything, as you said, seemed to make sense. Uh, we just had to focus on macro and and it all made sense according to the uh, growth and inflation expectations and the nominal rates would move accordingly, meaning, uh, Go higher, so the overall performance turned to negative. Uh, that that was a bit tough for clients, but we're able to outperform and and deviate massively from our benchmarks in in terms of duration, mostly. So as you said, uh, this has changed recently over clearly over the month of June. The main trigger for this for this move, not only in the U.S., actually, we we have. The exact same move in in bonds, but it started with some some speeches by central bankers and starting with the us with mr powell who uh, uh, clearly brought volatility brought complexity to our understanding of what the new policy is for the fed in terms of uh, inflation targeting so he's, he's blurred, I mean, we I understand the opaque policy. They don't want to be too transparent. But then again, he really mixed things uh, up too much, considering the strong macro figures that we've seen on growth, on inflation. So we, we could discuss about the peak on growth. You know, is it is it over already in the US, uh, like it is over already in China? Uh, will it soon be over in, in Europe? That's the right discussion to have. but uh, but Mr. Powell hinted at at a different policy saying, actually this is a totally a flexible uh, policy around inflation and that the temporary effects that we're seeing on inflations do matter. And suddenly that changes everything, Changes everything in the long term and in the short term, as you said. and and we've seen something that is not supposed to happen. A bullish, uh, a bullish flattening of the yield curve. It's usually bearish. It's usually the curve really flattens between, especially maturities like two years and ten years, flattens because suddenly you have higher uh, monetary tightening expectations, which we've seen. I mean, two-year U.S. rates rates did go up, but at the same time, we saw, as you described, ten-year U.S. rates really come down, and I said. Even bonds uh, came down, so that doesn't really make sense. Then, when I say it doesn't make sense, it means that there are different explanations for this. The short end of the curve we understand uh, probably, as you said, in the implied forwards, um, some tightening um, in in 2023, uh, mostly or end of 2022. I understand this, so short-term rates do go up, but. On the on the longer end of the curve, the only explanation that we have and that we hear and we look at these numbers is is the positioning. The the short duration, as as I said, was very uh, had a very positive Im- impact at the f- start of the year, and I think we all wanted to uh, to have more for the rest of the year, and it's still too, cons- too consensual. So, looking at the positioning, uh, investors are still too short. And we had that double effect when, again, all the fundamentals point to higher rates. So, we've been managing tactically, uh, but everyone has. But there are still massive shorts in the market on, on US rates particularly. And until uh, that is uh, those, those positions get cleaned out, uh, it will be a tough time for, uh, for trying to, to short bonds.
0: Well, that helps explain uh, somewhat at least what we've seen in the market. Of course, that's what's happening now. But at the same time, we need to be thinking about the future and the next likely big change in central bank policy. Uh, will probably come from the Fed, and it'll be tapering. So I think it's safe to say we're talking about tapering, uh, but I guess we need to do the taper, or, or I don't know if that's going to be the latest dance craze. Uh, what do you think will happen? Uh, when will they start tapering? How quickly will it occur? And then, more importantly, what do you think the impact is going to be on the market?
1: Yeah, but in, and in the U.S., uh, you, have, you have this anticipation of a possible change in monetary policy, but also fiscal tightening. Um, there's been a change of president and uh, and this fiscal tightening uh, should be about raising taxes. And if this happens, then there's a risk on growth. And you're right, now it's about tapering. Uh, so the Fed and, and the way we see the impact on rates, of course, is more on the stock. I mean, there's a debate more on the stock than the flows. Um, so you know the stock is there. The Fed has bought massively. They're selling some bonds, which is something new on corporates, but for the rest, of course, on Treasuries, they're not selling. Um, and and we've learned from history uh, what tapering means, even in the U.S., even even in the Euro area. I I I, I can't forget that uh, you know in 2018 when the ECB uh, was ending its uh, its quantitative easing, they. They produced a nice report describing the impact of what they had bought and and the future impact, I mean, what tapering looks like over the long run. And and they gave numbers. They gave numbers which showed that uh, there was a 10-year effect to what they had been buying when they stopped in 2018. So we know they bought a lot more, uh, the Fed as well. So just saying tapering is not the end of the story. Of course, you're right. It usually triggers large reactions. But we think, we think everyone knows and, and learned from the past what this means. That this is a very long-term effect. And even today, I mean, part of what I mentioned on the positioning, why everyone is holding on to these positions, it's because it's because the tapering is not for now. I mean, the word will come out soon. The discussions are there, uh, but the effects will take a very long time. And as always, on fixed income, time is essential. Ah, uh, you want to carry? Uh, you think you have time on the stocks that the Fed is holding on to, so, and um, and and therefore, any move is will be limited. Any move in higher rates will be limited. So, then it's about other asset classes. If not treasuries, then then it might be about EM. It might might be about spreads, and there, of course, you could you could have a larger impact. And particularly in, in, in the credit area, in high yield, we know uh, the Fed has been an enormous support uh, to the high yield bonds. And of course, the default rates, uh, thanks to this support, have not been massive, uh, had, have not really uh, grown. So we're clearly more concerned, for example, by U.S. high yield rather than just treasuries
0: of course, as we think about the outlook for nominal yields, inflation is a pretty big part of that, separate from what's going to happen with central bank policy rates. Uh, We've heard the view from the Fed that it's all temporary, nothing to worry about here. There's also, of course, some dissenting views, people highlighting the risk that it's a bit less temporary and concerned about what that might mean. What's your view?
1: You're right. We've heard the Fed, and they've said different things on this. As I mentioned, they, you know, they changed their policy, and then then we hear them say, uh, you know, actually, we need to consider these temporary effects, and, and everyone has a view on how these effects should remain or not. And I think it's, of course, a very different across countries. I'll come back to the US, but just saying there are obvious examples uh, in, in EM countries where well, those are not temporary effects, and you have central banks actually which need to hike. Um, but uh, coming back to the U.S. and and Europe, yes, and and you know this. Um, just saying, what is and, and we see this, and and uh, also um, very senior economists are having the debates on rediscussing the theories on on uh, on the effect of central bank actions to longer-term inflation or longer-term growth. There are now huge debates because I think uh, this is just an additional cycle where we were supposed to see longer-term effects. And now we're all saying, okay, uh, those should be temporary. And we go back to the initial or uh, the previous regime, let's say the previous regime where uh, central banks never meet their targets. Um, and, and I think the ECB uh, also yesterday tried to um, participate to that debate. And, and I know that uh, the internal discussions at the ECB level were totally on inflation and totally on the price of real estate, the price of some assets, and how that should be taken into consideration in the inflation calculations. So we see the central banks struggling to stay uh, credible on their inflation targeting, and, and they have changed policies. and. What uh, the ECB announced yesterday is quite different from what the Fed is doing in terms of uh, average targeting. So the ECB just announced that they will have a range. We were expecting maybe a larger range. So um, a symmetrical range of 0.5% would have made sense, a, a large target range. Instead of that, they're letting us know that it's symmetrical, but uh, but they'll, they'll react to anything that's... Uh, way above or below this target. So just saying they're struggling to stay credible in terms of targets, and then you have the real numbers. Then your question is, uh, have things changed over the long run with this crisis in terms of sectors, in terms of consumption, in terms of uh, labor market, of course, in the US? That's a huge discussion. Uh, We've all seen the salary uh, and wage increases in some sectors. But um, you know, Amazon or McDonald's example are actually not representative of the whole, uh, of the uh, average minimum wage in, in 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 the rest of the sectors. So we'll keep having that debate on some sectors and how they're representative of not or not. But then I would say to get to have this answer, it will take time. As, and, and that's and sorry for saying this, it will take time. So everyone is anxious to have these answers now central bankers don't i don't so very hard to position ourselves of course you know on fixed income we have break-evens we have forwards we have forwards break-evens you have five year and five year so i i i'm not trying to complexify the the debate here i'm just saying when we look at what's priced in i think mr powell had an impact on on what rates are doing Uh, we can clearly see that uh, uh, five year and five years have come down, which means he has credibility within the market. He will he will be able to offset any higher inflation numbers, and that's a reaction to what he has said. But will it really be the case? Will he really have to do this? And um, and at the same time, as I mentioned, with uh, with possibly some fiscal tightening um, and a confirmation of uh, of the growth peak. This is this is the eternal debate on timing. It's not only about the actions; it's on timing, and it's obvious to say that he probably has a window now for talking about tapering. For while the numbers while the numbers are high on growth and inflation, uh, because it might that that window of opportunity. Let's put it like this. Might, might end soon actually and and we see again different countries behaving differently, doing different things. China is in a different situation and and it's hard to be that optimistic on growth when many other countries will be peaking in terms of uh, in terms of growth and we'll see about inflation.
0: Well, thank you very much, Olivier. What you've shared with us, if we think about the surprising, safe to say moves that we've had in Treasury yields, though, as you pointed out, this isn't just a U.S. story. You've also seen uh, pretty significant moves in boon yields that the trigger probably started with some speeches from Powell, other members uh, of the Fed that muddied the waters, uh, if you will, about the outlook uh, for policy rates and for inflation. And interestingly, if you think that the Fed Uh, was keen to avoid a taper tantrum or repeat of the taper tantrum when, of course, yields jump significantly. Uh, We think it's safe to say they accomplished that because we we haven't had a big jump in yields. The other key factor on all of this, question certainly around peak growth, at least in the U.S., so is the outlook quite as rosy as we thought it was going to be? And then perhaps most importantly, you highlighted that it may simply be positioning. You know, since everyone had this consensus view that rates were going to rise, everyone was short, if you will, on duration. Uh, when that didn't quite work out, uh, we may need to wait until all of those positions are, have been closed out before we see a normalization and a stabilization in the market. As for the tapering, that will come. Uh, we have been through this before, so it certainly will be less of a surprise. And importantly, you highlighted that the impact. Uh, will only be seen over time. So it's not something that's going to necessarily affect the market immediately. And if we do see that impact, it may well be more in spread sectors like high-yield credit than uh, than necessarily in government bond yields. And then finally, uh, around the debate on inflation, uh, unfortunately, it's a bit of wait and see. Uh, We don't know. We are in an unusual time. We have factors that we haven't seen before. So there's certainly reasons to believe uh, it will be temporary, but absolutely not guaranteed. Well, with that, it's all we have time for today. If you'd like more information, please check out our Investors Corner blog or reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks to Olivier for sharing his insights. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with the portfolio managers of our Inclusive Growth Fund. What is inclusive growth? Well, you'll have to join us to find out. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.